Voices serves as the megaphone for individuals who have endured transformational change. By highlighting trials and triumphs, our desire is to create a safe space for pivotal conversations, which in turn will deepen the story and provoke hope for you, our listeners. As you may know, change is never easy, but it is inevitable. You are not alone in what you're facing. Your transformation is possible, purposeful, and now. And here's Aaron Wiggum, founder and managing director of New You, with this week's guest. All right, welcome to another edition of New Voices. My name is Aaron Wiggum, and I'm your host, also managing director of New You. New You is a way for an individual to imagine, discover, and actualize a 2.0 version of yourself. And New Voices here is a way for, it's a megaphone for individuals who have endured uh, pivotal and transformational experiences. And so we have a wonderful guest a highly decorated guest uh, today with us um, that I'm really excited to have a discussion with. Uh, You're going to get to know him a little bit better, Uh, but um, we are really, we've been waiting for this uh, discussion to happen for a little while now. We're excited for it to take place. So I want to, uh, this man is a husband. He is a father. He's a man of faith. Um, I know him as a decorated musician and producer and uh, what I know him also to be is a man of integrity. And so these are some of the things that uh, highlights that I've known and the dealings that we've had. Um, he's come through several times in a pinch for me uh, when we needed uh, some some music provided and uh, even got on the road and brought his team and everything. So uh, I want you to sit back and just uh, enjoy this discussion with none other than uh, Daniel Weatherspoon. Welcome, Daniel. Well, thanks for having me, my brother. It's good to see you again, man. Likewise, likewise. Uh, so let me just set this up a little bit. We we met originally, um, my brother-in-law, uh, Dave Mumford, shout out to Dave, uh, made a call and uh, he said, hey, I got a brother here in town in Cleveland. He just did a show and he's headed back to D.C. Uh, you got you, 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 you need somebody for tonight in Pittsburgh? I said, sure, we we can figure something out. And so I was actually, my wife and I were talking about the board for a cruise when I got the call. And so I had to make a call to the chancellor. I was at Penn State at the time. And uh, I told her, you know, hey, we have this guy. And we just launched a um, a business incubator. Uh, and we were we had three restaurants that we were launching out of there. And... Uh, Long story short, we put together something called a Taste of Jazz. And our very first Taste of Jazz featured Daniel Weatherspoon and his band. Um, They came. We charged the the community about 15 bucks to come in, get some good food, a tasting of these restaurants over his jazz music. It was a concert and a meal. And uh, it was it was a knockout success, standard room only. Um, and that was the beginning of our relationship. So yeah. it's good to circle back now about five or six years, six or seven years later and yeah. uh, remain connected. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. I want Usually what we do, I, w- I want to start from the beginning. So if you take us back and just start, tell us what is the Daniel Weatherspoon story, story um, however you see fit to tell it. Yeah, Um Again, man, thanks for having me on. It's been a while, and um, I'm glad we stayed connected. Uh, that was in Penn, Penn State, and you're in Tulsa now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, um, life is good, man. Life is well. Um, uh, my story starts in a couple places, but 
I'll skip past a few things and just, um, uh, I, I kind of took music serious around maybe 12 or 13 ish. Um, of course, growing up in church and, mm-hmm. um, uh, family's kind of musical. My dad played bass a little bit. My mom, you know, sang a little bit, but it wasn't a career thing. It was just, you know, church. And, yeah. Um, but grew up and then around town, you know, over time, you know, I got in band at high school and mm-hmm. uh, it just evolved, you know, over time things happened. Um, did a ton of local things, you know, playing around town and, you know, small recordings that never came out. And, you know, uh, <laughs> You know, just, you know, just pick up gigs and learn in the city, learn my crafts, you know, see new yeah. people. And then um, I guess the pivotal moment was uh, for me with music was I was working on a record for Ricky Dillard called mm-hmm. um, Worked It Out. Okay. And uh, in the middle of that record, uh, and I had never heard of him, but a guy, this guy named Donald Lawrence. Uh-huh. And, uh, came to one of the rehearsals, and uh, maybe about a week after the rehe- after the recording, uh, Ricky said, "Hey, uh, call me." And said, "Hey, man, this Donald wants to talk to you." And I'm like, "Who's like who's Donald?" Like, because right. I grew up in Church of God in Christ, and I think Donald was from PAW or whole yeah, Apostolic. Thing. I think he was Apostolic. apostolic. Yeah, so yeah. Our worlds just weren't in the same. It don't connect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I had I literally had no idea what Bible stories was and all that. Uh-huh. You were based in Chicago at this time, right? Was actually in Chicago at this time. Okay, all right. Uh, I'm in Maryland now, mm-hmm. uh, but I, li- I literally had no idea who he was. And mm-hmm. Donald called and said, hey, man, uh, I'm the guy that was helping Ricky with his vocals. I was like, yeah, man, I remember meeting you, blah, blah, blah. He said, listen, I want you to come. I'm working on something next week. Mm. The very next week. He said, I'm, I'm doing this record next week. And... For about a month, we've been trying to figure out this missing element of what we mm. need on this record. And mm. he said, if you're open to it, I want you to come spend a week with us in Detroit because we're doing Finally Karen, which is Karen Clark's debut yeah. album. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, wow. And I was like, oh, like, sure. Yeah. Then that started a whole snowball of things, man. It was like, wow. you know, um... I got a call about a month ago and I don't take this any kind of way of, you know, don't take, I'm, I hope this don't come off the wrong way or anything, but they call me, uh, the committee called me about a month ago and said, uh, call my manager and said, Hey, we want to honor Daniel, uh, at an event as having the most recognized solo and gospel music history. Wow. And it was for the song. Jesus is a love song. Wow. So I that was me on the the solo of Karen's record and it's featuring the Clark sisters and all that. And this was like twenty, twenty five years ago now. You know, I'm I'm fifty two, so I'll be fifty two in December. So uh I had to be in my twenties then. You know, yeah. early twenties and uh they said to date it's the most recognizable and most I guess the both, I don't know if I want to say famous or whatever, but the most recognizable. It's a staple. It's, yeah. In, in gospel music. And I'm wow. like, whoever would have known that would have been, you know, I met the guy the week before. And wow. 25 years later, 
it comes out. And, you know, but since then, the same things happened. It just snowballed. Uh, I mean, I grew up with some people, me, Donovan McNabb, mm-hmm. uh, Carl Thomas, who was signed to Puff. We all grew mm-hmm. up. We, we grew oh, up okay. Chicago. So I was with Puff. I was with Carl when he got signed to Puff, and I was with Donovan when he got traded to the Eagles. And it was like, okay, okay. Uh, well, signed to the Eagles, and it's, stuff just happened. You know, it went from Karen's record to a bunch of records with Donald Lawrence, and then a bunch of records with a bunch of folk, and then. Right, and yeah. Then, BB and then BBCC stuff over the years, Yolanda stuff, Ben Tanker stuff over the years. I mean, just a ton of, it was blessed to turn into a whole lot of stuff and wow. even R&B things throughout the years. You know, um, uh, I did a remix collab with Janet Jackson maybe 10 years ago. And okay. I did Beyonce's tour live at Wembley. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a whole bunch of stuff that happened that nobody had a clue it was going to happen. You know, so wow. I don't, um, to this day, I don't look at it as I was supposed to be in that seat. It's still kind of looking back at stuff and saying, man, who, whoever knew that was going to be, you know? Right, right. right. So I don't, I don't take it to head. It's just, uh, um, I can't take it to head mainly because uh, my, my children, they don't see that. They still don't see that to this they day. They see dad. Yeah. They, they see the dad that's coming to the soccer games. And, yep. Picking up from school, and you know, I need some shoes, or what I'm getting for my birthday, or can we go get some meat? Or dad, can you pick up some? They they just see that, so there's no way, there's no way I can float in all of the stuff that a career has done for me. Right. It's, wow. You know, um, when I come home, I gotta. They don't. They don't care what plaque is on the wall. They just want to make sure they if they take a shower, the water gonna be hot. Right. You know, <laughs> you know. Yeah. No, them Grammys ain't them Grammys ain't turning the water high. Yeah. <laughs> it, don't, it, don't, it don't mean yeah. nothing to them. You know, yeah. They've been to my shows, and you know, my son is graduating. The middle child is graduating high school this year, and he every now and then he'd be like, "Dad, my teachers, oh, you know, um, they go to private school. The mm-hmm. boys, uh, uh, Kennedy, my oldest is twenty three, so she's long gone, and mm-hmm. but Carter's in high school, and he'll say, Dad, I was.'" was in the lunchroom, you know, at school, and your music was playing through the speakers at school, you know. Mm. And like, you know, and they'd be like, Dad, you know, Carl, ain't that your father playing? Like, kids at the school recognize the music, and the teachers are playing the music. and Wow. It's, so that kind of gives them a little... Yeah. You know, a little, a little moment. Yeah, little give them moment. a moment. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, other than that, man, when they come home, they, they don't see it. They don't... It don't register to them that Dad has been doing all of this. They just... Either the relationship is healthy or it's not, you know. Right. Or either we, you know, and so uh, it's good, man. And then maybe the last six or seven years, uh, um, maybe around forty-five or forty-six. I had to be about forty-five mm-hmm. when I came to you. Um, uh, I, at some point, I just decided to fight for myself. I mean, I've helped a lot of people mm-hmm. over the years get filthy rich. Mm. Or like mm. I, I know artists. I mean, I've helped, you know, change their entire trajectory of their career. Um, you know, I did a lot of big songs. I did Praise Is What I Do. And mm-hmm. I did Lord, I Love You More Than Anything. I yeah, yeah. You. I did Nobody. Lamar Love Campbell? You. Lamar Campbell. Yeah. Did Nobody Greater for Vashon Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Did, uh, uh, I mean, just a ton of songs we've done over the years to produce. Right. And um, it's been life-changing for a lot of people, you right. know? And um, 
but I never felt like I did. I never did anything that tells my story through music. Right. So when I finally decided to do it, I realized that all of the awards and the accolades and stuff had no impact whatsoever on me being a solo artist. Right. It, you yeah. know, so it's like you're starting from scratch. I started from scratch, you know. And yeah. I I wasn't when I was out with Beyonce, man, we did Mandela's uh birthday party this uh in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. It was uh Oh, I the, love Cape Town. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> and the the uh the name of the festival was four six six four, which is his cell number. Oh, okay. Yep. And Oprah Oprah and Bono from YouTube, they were the hosts and Beyonce was there, Celine Dion was there, all of these you know, some of the, you know, some of the roles, you know, just all of these icons. Yeah. Icons. Yeah. We played, we did about an hour and a half show and it was 700,000 people in the audience. It was in a, it was at an open field that was about three quarters of a mile long and wide. Mm. And they had the stage and maybe 40 screens to spread around. I mean, you could, it was the, the it was so massive. You could never see the end. Like I've never seen nothing like that. Wow. Uh, and, uh, so I've seen that I've experienced that I've, I've done stuff with Obama. I've done mm-hmm. stuff or, you know, I've done a lot of stuff, but then when it's time for me to be an artist, Man, I had to get a U-Haul and pull these all. <laughs> and you, you know this place. You know this yeah, for, I know personally, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was like, man, all of that stuff is irrelevant. It's like, yeah. I'm starting over. Yeah. And yeah. only if I had a regret, I don't have many. I don't have any, but if I had a, I don't want to call it a regret, but if I had something that I would have figured a, out. A do-over, over, yeah. A do-over is, I think I would have fought for myself younger. That's a like, good point. I, I feel like I waited to make me the priority late. Mm. You know, I know how to manage it well, but I just feel like the fights that I've been having to fight as an independent as an independent artist. Yeah, the fights, uh, the fights I've been fighting as an independent artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I should have been fighting that at 20 mm. 25 just because of where I think I could be for myself in the artist realm now yeah yeah so that, that's the only difference of I wish I would have started believing in me as with my piano with stories I can tell about myself earlier but it just happened it just didn't happen that way I never saw it I just you get one call you get another call you get a trip you get a flight you get a you know you Go for the ride. Yeah. You go for the ride. And, it, you know, and it took me on an con- incredible journey for 25 years. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I, have, I have no complaints. I'm just um, being an artist ain't easy. It's just, I know that. I'll tell you that. It ain't yeah. Thing. Yeah. No, I get it. Somebody. Yeah. I get it, man. Wow, that's powerful. So, so let's let's go back through there. So you 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 know you're young. You get the call finally, Karen, and you're working with, uh, you know, gospel savants. You know, uh, Ricky Dillard's and the uh, Donald Lawrence and and you know the name the Clark sisters. I mean, you don't get any bigger than these names, right? In gospel music. So as you're blazing, you, you are on this trail. 
what does what is how is Daniel the man handling this level of exposure in your twenties? How's Daniel the man uh, navigating life, working with such giants in gospel and secular music? Um. Hmm. Well, at a younger age, uh, I, I think I handled it very well because my my parents have always just been. Uh, we didn't grow up, and you hear the story all the time. You know, people mm-hmm. always got the story that they didn't grow up rich and they didn't grow up. But I like right. we grew up simple. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not gonna say we grew up, grew up poor. We didn't, I'm not gonna say we grew up broke. You know. Right. We just, we just grew up simple. My dad worked. We went to church four days a week because it was church of God in Christ. And, you know, right. <laughs> you know, and, um, my mom worked at the library. It was just a simple, yeah, simple, simple life. And, um, okay. so I, I enjoyed it. I know I, <laughs> I loved, uh, uh, I wasn't going to say, I wouldn't say I was ready to get away from home. That, it wasn't that. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, when it started snowballing and you're flying and you, staying in hotels and you know you're getting picked up in the car and blah 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 mm-hmm. you know it was like yo this is really dope like i can do this forever and um mm. uh, i think i i think the one that thing one of the things that kept me grounded was uh i was very adamant at a young age of having mentors mm, that's like, good I, I sat under Kevin Bronson, who was a drummer for Milton, Bron- Milton Bronson's son. Milton Bronson, yep. Uh, he was a big brother. Anthony Harmon was a big brother to me, uh, who passed away, bass player. Uh, Derek Lee was a big brother to me. He used to be Bobby Jones' music director. Like certain people, Sanchez Harley was a big brother to me. Uh, I just sat under a lot of people mm-hmm. that just started teaching me early that the music industry will trick you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, like it looks really, 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 really good. And then in any moment, the industry can turn. Yep. Yep. Like at any moment you'll, you'll be doing great for six months and then all of a sudden it go cold Turkey. Mm-hmm. So I, I ended up learning my cycle. My cycle was, um, um, my cycle was from Thanksgiving to maybe the middle of January for about a 10 year period. Consistently, I had no work. Mm. Like it, it happened one year. And I'm like, I mean, and then I started learning about how the cycles of music work around Christmas and the holidays and all mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Know, Christmas albums are coming out and ain't nobody spending records. And right. then I started learning that these Christmas albums were being done back in February and they were just waiting yep. for them to come out. For, for Christmas time, yeah. Christmas time. Yep. And literally for about a 10-year period, I made no money for about three months. Mm, right I, through the holidays when you needed right, the most. Right yeah. the most. Yeah. And then um, uh, it became so consistent and it was like, all right, Daniel, now m- maybe around... I'm going to tell you a little bit because I skipped over this when I was telling you my story. So I guess I mm-hmm. got to tell you now. So I was born with bone disease. Oh, okay. All right. And um, uh, at nine, I had found out we, did, we discovered it at nine because I okay. wasn't into I wasn't into music. I was in the sports. Okay. I wanted to play football for a living. Like I, that mm-hmm. was my thing. I wanted to be yeah. 
uh, either running back or corner or something. I wanted to be the one that get the score. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to be the one to shine. Yeah. I loved it. Um, and uh, I found out at nine I had is when we discovered I was born with it. We never knew I had it until I got hit in football practice. Mm. And I got hit and uh, I got hit on my side and I never stood up again. Mm. Like I, I was in, I was in the middle of a field for about an hour and my parents, they had to literally get my parents and this wasn't cell phones then. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was like this. I don't know how this generation would ever survive my, my, my age. Cause it wasn't cell phones, it wasn't iPads, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't none of that. They had to go, Find find your parents, yeah. Find my yeah. Parents, which was yeah. not only four blocks from two blocks from where we we lived within walking distance of school, um, and they had to go get my parents, mm-hmm. bring them to the field, mm-hmm. and then they had to take me to the hospital. To the hospital, yep. And um, that's when we found out my my right hip had completely shattered. Mm. So I had a, uh, and I never told you this. So I had my hip replaced. The year before I came to you. Oh, okay. So okay. I came to you. I think I had my hip replaced at 40. Now, I'm young saying this. I mean, this is mm-hmm. 43, 44 years old. Yeah, yeah. My hip replaced. And um, uh, the older I got and uh, having more complications and having to have treatments, and, mm-hmm. uh, they wanted to replace my hip in my 20s. That's how damaged it was. But I had just mm. got used I had got so used to walking on it. Yep, you compensate. Yeah, I compensate. And they said it. You, they told me something. They said the thing about getting your hip replaced is you can only have it done twice in your lifetime. Oh, okay. So when you get, if you get your hip replaced it in the twenties, the at the time it was metal. So it was like uh, the type of metal was it has to be replaced in nineteen or eighteen years. Mm. It's not. A, it's not a lifetime replacement. Right. Right. And then, so if you get it replaced in your 20s, and then in your 40s, you got to get it redone. Mm-hmm. When that then you still got to, yeah. Yeah, when that one wears off in your 60s, you can't get your hip cut. Your bone can't cut anymore. Right. So at that age, you'll be in a chair for the rest of your life. Mm. So I figured out a way to walk on a shattered hip till I was 45. Wow. Like, I, I'm in pain, limping. I mean, people that know me know, you know, they, I mean, I had this, I, I mean, they knew if, oh, here come Daniel. Like, it was a, and this is a, nothing I'm making up. This is a mm-hmm. true side of me that the industry don't, I don't talk about much, but mm-hmm. you saw me coming, you saw me limping. Yeah. And, uh-huh. uh, and um, in my 30s, it kicked in that, Daniel, hey, you ain't got no insurance. Mm-hmm. You're too old to be on your parents. Yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. So I had to just rethink survival. Yeah. Like I had to rethink how I'm going to survive. And that all of that stuff just kind of kept me. There's a reality to this. Like, because, and then when I got closer to my 40s, I started realizing there were kids at 12 years old that can outplay anybody on the planet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, you know, it was like, Daniel, you got to look at the history of music. And, and I did this. I met Quincy Jones and I was in um, Sweden doing a mm-hmm. jazz festival. Mm-hmm. And 
my first time meeting him, we talked. You know, I was with B.B. Wine, so it was me, B.B. Wine, and Quincy Jones. Mm-hmm. And we were backstage having a whole conversation. And he told me, um, he said, uh, no, I asked him the I asked him the question that he's been asked eighty million times is what was it like working with Michael Jackson? With Michael Jackson, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. if you meet Quincy, everybody wants to know that. And his thing was, you know, Michael Jackson wasn't the Michael Jackson before I met him. Right. Like Michael Jackson didn't become the Michael Jackson until until, Quincy, right. until Quincy touched him until Quincy did the Thriller record. Right. And it was like now this is. The untouchable Michael Jackson. Yeah, because oh, he had, he had about four or five flop albums in there yeah, after absolutely. the Jackson. Yeah, there was some <laughs> floppers in there until yeah. Quincy put that stink on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yes, but even then they didn't know. I mean, right? I think that thing is at 129 million records to this day. Like, there's no album within 100 million copies of that album. Right. You know, and um, he told me he said. Uh, he said, think about this at my age. And this, was, this wasn't long ago. I didn't get to meet him until I was maybe 48, 47. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really, no, no, I'll take that back. 38, 37. It was before my 40s. And he said something to me. He said, when you, want to, when you realize to put the right plan in place is look at all of the people that you thought would never stop working. So he said, when when you when it's, when you start realizing this over time, it'll make you think about how you're going to survive after music, and I, it didn't kick in until later. Wow! So around forty five, forty six years later, I started noticing that Babyface wasn't a dog no more. Mm-hmm. And then I started noticing that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis wasn't running the game no more. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then yep. I started realizing. And then it was like, it was Timbaland's game. And then it was Rodney Jerkins' game. And it was mm-hmm. the Neptune's game. And then it was, it, for a while, it was Puff's game. And it was like, wait a minute. The dudes I grew up fantasizing about ain't ain't getting calls no more. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. It, it was like the big dudes. Like, it, it was a season for, I want to say it was a season maybe six years, five or six years. And I know that their run was longer than that. But there was a season where I couldn't turn on the radio and not hear an artist singing a Babyface song or a Jimmy Tam and Terry Lewis song. Right, right. It's a season in gospel music where you couldn't, for seven, eight, nine, ten years, you weren't going to hear a record that Kevin Bond didn't produce. Right, yep. Then it went through a whole run where you ain't going to hear, for about six years, you ain't going to hear a single song that Jay Moss didn't do. Yep. It didn't. Mm-hmm. For a while, then it was like, every record for seven years was Aaron Lindsay record. Mm-hmm. And it was like, so then it's like, when you start thinking about the history of like everybody's thing. The seasons. It's seasons. Yeah. Come, they start and they end. Yeah. You, know, they, yep. you don't wish that on nobody. No. But you just realize that. It don't last forever. It don't last forever. And the more and more I start thinking about that and my kids getting older, it was like, yo, Daniel, you're not going to be 60 years old doing a pickup gig at the barbershop or something like that. You got to, <laughs> you know, you got to, you got to figure this out now. Cause the, the thing about industry money is it run out. Yeah. Like there was a season where like, you no, know, I'm going to tell you one good thing. We ain't never got to talk about money again, but okay. like, my first publishing deal was with EMI and it was 300 grand. Okay. And I took the, I took the, 
advance and built a house in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Built my first house and not knowing that you can't write off construction costs. Mm. Now this was, I don't know if this is anywhere else, but in Illinois, the money you spend designing and building a house, you, you don't, can't write, you can't off write it off. Well, yeah. So I spent about a hundred and some thousand dollars building a house, right? I mean, that's the money I put in to get into right. Man, my that first year my tax bill came around and it was more than what I spent. <laughs> 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 I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, uh, but I spent all of this money. It's like, dude, you don't get you don't get a benefit for building a house. You get a right. benefit for paying the bill. You right. Know? And then from that point on, I had to realize, yo. This hype thing and this blah blah blah. You gotta have mm-hmm. a plan. Yeah. If it's music, uh, if it's if you're in the architecture, if you're anything, well, anything in the arts realm. If you're a designer, you know, mm-hmm. makeup artist, a stylist, you know, a barber, or whatever. Anything that's in this whole creative kind of space, you know, uh, graphics, blah blah blah. You gotta have a plan. Because gotta have a plan. Somebody gonna shine better than you. Somebody's mm-hmm. gonna work cheaper than you. Uh, yeah. uh, somebody's gonna have better gear than you. A better cre- creative mind. Like you got to figure out a plan on how you're gonna survive. Blah blah blah. And when I just, you know, I had a good, I had a good forties where I learned. I grew up. So maybe it wasn't so bad that I started the artist thing so late. I mm-hmm. managed it better. But. Um, I just wish I wish I fought for myself earlier, but I I learned a lot in 25, 30 years. Yeah, you know? and uh, yeah. it's kind of been passionate. You no, know, I don't want to no ramble on too much, but it was it's been passionate. Uh, something Mimi made it last year to either write a book or to do a master class tour mm-hmm. on everything on how to survive in music without music. Mm. You know, I haven't named it yet. Uh, but I've really been thinking about how do I go around uh, and just talk to people in cities about how to survive in an industry when music is not the thing that's keeping you relevant, you know, or how music. So, so just you know, kind of, kind of keep me lifted on that one, man. I got to figure out a plan for that. But, but yeah, yeah, it's a whole generation that really don't know that this is not an easy game, right? This right. You know, it's a lot of glitz and glam, but it's not an easy world. Let's let's stay let's stay in that vein, man. Where so so let's talk about, uh, you know, as a as a producer and a musician, let's talk about one of those dry spells, or or maybe maybe it doesn't have to be music related. Maybe it's relational, where you just didn't know how you were about to make this thing work. Whatever this thing is, relationship, a, a tour, uh, a record, uh, you just didn't know how, what the end, like, how, how am I going to make this thing work? How did you hold on to hope through that dark period or through that, that pivotal time? Uh, that can go a few ways. Now, um, hope, I didn't, I don't think I really understood hope until in my forties. Okay. Like I really didn't understand it. Uh, because, and 
and I've said a whole lot and I've experienced a whole lot and I've shook a whole lot of hands and I haven't even said probably 10% of the people I've worked with and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's irrelevant, but, uh, I didn't really understand hope until I got a little more mature in faith because mm-hmm. I would look back in, in these days. Now, when I say that, I say I've met a lot of people. I've worked with a lot of people, but it was a lot of broke days in them people. You know, was, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm never going to be the one to tell you that my car wasn't repossessed. Right. I'm going to tell you I'm not the guy who got foreclosure letters. Yep. I'm not going to ever tell you my phone ain't never been cut off. Yep. I'm never going to tell you I ain't never had to, I'm never going to be the guy to not tell you the truth. Right. Um, and, and if I'm 51, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so I've seen flying, I've, I've been, I've been to court with gospel artists mm-hmm. because I didn't get publishing. I've, mm. I've I've been out of town with artists and they didn't pay for my flight home and I'm sitting in the airport with no ticket to the house. Mm. I've, I've flown out of town to work with people and get to the front desk of the hotel and my home my room wasn't paid for. What? I've, like I've uh I've seen it all. Like I've seen all of the great side of it. I've stayed in some of the most I've stayed in let me say it like this. I've been to more places in the world that my dollar could pay me to get that I would spend on myself to go. Mm-hmm. I've been from from Dubai to, to Beijing to South mm-hmm. Africa to Australia to London to Tokyo. Like I've I've been everywhere. And it would never be I got the bag and I'm gonna do it myself. Like I've right. I've seen I've seen hotels that I can't even describe. <laughs> people. And it's always yeah. been somebody else's dime. Dime. Somebody yeah. else's money. And yeah. um but then you go through all of that and then you'll be doing that living that life in February and then you get back home and you won't get no experience like that again till October. Mm. You know. So while you're home, you're doing the pickup gig at a club and you're doing this and that big money you made in February then ran out by March. And, you know, <laughs> so, so, I didn't uh when when you ask me how did I get through dark days, it started with humiliate. I, I think I didn't start off with faith. I started off being humiliated. Mm, that's good, I, man. Wait, I, say that again. Say that again. Say that again. I didn't start off in faith. I started off being humiliated. I started wow. off. I started off being embarrassed. Embarrassed, the shame. Yeah, the shame of, dude. You just came back from. You spent ten days in London working at the same studio the Beatles worked at uh, and you hear a week later, three weeks later, and they about to take your car. Mm. Like I've seen, I've seen the worst of it. Like I've seen it, but I didn't understand hope. If that's the word you're choosing until I was later on in life when I realized and I looked, I look, I, I can literally look back over 20 years of my career and say, every time it got dark, Mm. Some way or another, I made you it. Got out. Of it. Yeah, yeah. Like wow. every, every single time, it was painful. It was embarrassing. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand it. I didn't mm. understand why artists that called themselves that I thought were family, uh, artists that I thought were family friends of mine, mm-hmm. uh, I call them for help and they don't answer the phone. Mm. It's like, dude, you answer the phone when you on the track. <laughs> so you answer the phone. I need to borrow. I need to borrow fifteen hundred dollars because I'm in trouble, and you disappear. 
Right. You know, it's you know when you realize the music industry isn't relational. Mm. You know, eighty percent transactional. Of, it's transactional. It's eighty yeah. percent of it. Eighty percent of it is not friendship. Mm-hmm. And um, so I didn't. I didn't get hope until later in life, later mm-hmm. in my career, when it was like. And then I think that was the turning point of me really saying, I got to fight for myself because I'm fighting for people that ain't helping me if I'm in trouble. Mm -hmm. I'm fighting for people that if I'm having marriage problems, can't none of them give me no advice because all of them jokers cheating on their wives or something. Or it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. I can't can't talk to nobody about um, what I'm dealing with with my kids because they don't even talk to their kids. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't even, you know, I... I didn't understand hope until later when I was like, some way or another, the circle of your very small circle of people that are actually in your corner. Yeah. Family that stood with you through the darkest days. Mm-hmm. Some way or another, they were with, they didn't judge you. They helped you get out. When they went through, you helped them get out. Mm-hmm. When you, you count on your parents, count on your mama. Mama's always going to look out. Dad's going to look out. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, so I didn't really recognize what hope felt like or how to get peace of mind and hope until later when I was like, I can look back at 25 years and realize that all of my foolish choices, all of my embarrassments, mm-hmm. all of my humiliations, I always made it out. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I always came out of it. So, um, uh, and it, you know, you can I can say a lot that'll scare anybody and be like, yo man, I ain't doing music. You know, this dude <laughs> I ain't going to, you know, I ain't going into that world, but yeah. you know, I wouldn't trade it for nothing, man. Yeah. I, I wouldn't trade it for a thing because uh I've been able to I'm fifty one and I can say, which I don't think most people in the that I know can say is and I don't please don't take this as putting anybody down. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it's, I've never in my life experienced what it's like to work a nine to five. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is to get up and, you know, have to get a shower at seven. Punch a clock. Yeah. And come back home to six o'clock at night. Like, I have mm-hmm. no idea what, I have no idea what that means. Right. Like, I have no idea. What, so, not to say that in Eric, but to say that you, you've lived a life that you gotta be grateful for. Yeah. You know, I gotta be, humbled enough to to say that and uh and i got enough moments that'll keep me grounded because the moment i can think about all of the ups i can think about 10 more downs for them, you know I yeah can, you know but i wouldn't change this for nothing man it was music helped me through the darkest the darkest part of my life was i, I got into playing music because i couldn't play football anymore you know i yeah. couldn't i couldn't go outside my older brother was out and you know I used to embarrass the crap out of my brother because this happened like the early, like maybe sixth grade. I was nine years old when I found out. And by the time I get to high school, I'm my freshman year, I'm on crutches. You know, I had crutches and I had the whole, you ever seen the kids with the, they had the brace on their leg and they had the whole heel of their shoe. Was about to yeah. that, yep. was, that, that was literally me. Wow. Okay. Imagine me being a freshman and my brother is the popular senior. Like he, they didn't even, I couldn't even call his name in the hallway. Mm. Like, like, you know, Mike, ain't that your brother? Blah, blah. And you're like, no, just the embarrassment of what I brought to people. Mm. And music healed me through all of that. Mm. You know, I got into 
Jack, next thing you know, I'm in the jazz trio. I'm, you know, when I'm starting to walk better, I got in marching band my junior year, and I'm in the, you know, I'm in the band that's playing at the basketball games at school, and I'm mm-hmm. the concert band, and I'm playing clarinet one year, and next year I'm playing trombone. Like I just, I went for all of it, and music, mm-hmm. music healed me through that whole thing, and now wow. I, here I am, fifty-one, uh, and I'm still able to say. You know, I'm grateful to God because, you know, our mortgage gets paid on time. Our car notes aren't behind. Our phones mm-hmm. are on. The kids yeah. eat very well. You know, the house is covered. You know, yeah. I've got new deals coming and I'm still rebranding and new stuff is happening, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's been a beautiful life, man. I, I can't complain. That's what's up, man. Let me ask you a couple, just a couple more questions. We'll wrap up here. Well, the one I want to ask is, have you had to deal with imposter syndrome? throughout this whole process, uh, working with, I mean, you, you jumped in straight to greats. You didn't jump in with like the little guys who were trying to build a group and come up or whatever. You jumped in with greats. So yeah. had, did you ever have to wrestle with imposter syndrome or feeling unworthy or, or uh, you know, unequipped? How, how did you, if you did, how did you make it through that? Like when you say imposter syndrome, not from their end, from me. Yes, like, from, your end, from your end. From your end. Yes, you. Like, how I, you feel about you? Yes. Yeah. Did I? Uh, yeah. I, I. I don't know if it's imposter. I don't. I don't know. Really know how to describe imposter syndrome. Did I feel like I didn't fit in? Maybe. Yeah. You. Uh, you felt unqualified. You felt like yeah, I'm. I'm undeserving of where. Like, am I good enough? You, yeah, I, yeah. Well, I never thought that, but I got fired a lot. I never thought I wasn't good enough, but it's I didn't got sent home a whole bunch of stuff. I mean so look, so look, I was I think I was right out of high school. Man, um I got fired a lot. Mm-hmm. Um so it was a it was a it was a scenario where uh Wendell Lowe got a call to MD Jennifer Holiday's Christmas album. Okay. So um I mean I I might have been 18, 19, I mean this was years ago. <laughs> and uh so we get we get they called and there's like, hey Daniel, uh, can you read music? I could read music, but I wasn't a fast reader. I mean, I had to read because I was in high school band, but mm-hmm. we weren't reading at like a concert level speed. Right. You know, we're yeah. reading at high school speed, you know, yeah. what it is. And and even for piano, I kind of cursed myself because I cheated. So my ear was so fast, it developed so fast that I could read it. And then once I read it once or got through it, you already knew. I, I, I knew it. Like yeah. I remember. Yeah. So we get there and they they was like it was like a you know a chair players you know from st- strings and blah 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 it was downtown chicago and they just put the music in front of us and uh it's like okay fine so i'm like whoa, 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 whoa. you know i need to you gonna run through this yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, 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 hold on, hold on. give me 15 minutes let me skim through it let me figure my out Sharps were like, you know, it was, it was a go. Yeah. So I got fired before I got I got sent home halfway through the intro <laughs> for <the> first song. 
like, they was like, this guy ain't it. And um, I, that was that wasn't the first time I got. I mean, I've gotten I got kicked off a bunch of gigs in my life, man. I got, uh-huh. and uh, I never thought that I wasn't good enough. I just always I always used to get in my. I mean, you get fired enough, and you start thinking something's wrong with you. Right. But, I mean, it's like I always felt like um, uh, maybe I was uh, trying to break in the worlds I wasn't supposed to be in. Okay. Wow, because it was always, you know, it was always two things. It was always the R&B stuff at a young age that I always got. It's like, yo, you sound too churchy, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, until I figured out how to really work in multiple genres. Mm-hmm. And then up until 20s or so, even though I grew up with Carl, and Carl was a church kid, and Don mm-hmm. was a church kid, and blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, I knew R. Kelly before he ever got his first. I knew R. Kelly when he was singing at train stations. You know, mm. so this was way young. I mean, we these this is thirty years ago, right? You know, right. So it was like, you know, um, it was always I had when I'm trying to hang with people or do stuff or be in certain worlds. It was either I didn't really know how to make be authentic to that. Mm-hmm. It was either that or I felt the guilt of my church and God of Christ parents telling yeah. me your doctrine. <laughs> yeah, you going you to know? hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah well, I mean, we grew up. With, us growing up, it was like, man, going bowling, you going to hell. You go to yeah, the yeah. That's, yep. that's on the top 10 list of the devil's your cousin. If you, you know, you go to the movies, you, you frying. Yeah. You know? I never really thought I wasn't, I just didn't learn enough. I was just, okay. I felt, uh, I felt too sheltered early with music. Like I didn't, I felt too guilty to do stuff until maybe my mid twenties. And then I okay. started really saying, yo, man, look, you know, I'm gonna just be honest. I I love the Lord, and I, I want to go to heaven. But <laughs> these gigs ain't paying for fifty dollars, and they offer me twelve hundred over here. And y- y'all want me to be at a revival for four days while I'm getting right. chicken? Yeah, and yeah, a, a, a hot plate. They give you. It's like, man, I'm gonna I'm I'm be in foreclosure before I buy my first house if I keep dealing with church folk. You know, yeah. so it's like, you know, um. And I never really thought, I just, I had to learn it. I had to understand that R&B okay. has to be treated a certain way. And jazz is one thing. And then house music is its own thing. It's another thing. Its own yeah. thing. Country music is a whole nother, yeah. you know, I had to learn how to be able to work in multiple places. Right. And the more comfortable I got and the more relationships I built, you know, then I was able to work in different worlds. So it never... Mm-hmm. I just had to learn it. I think I tried too fast to try to get accepted in places I wasn't ready for. Got it. Yeah. So, um, so for our, for our for our audience, uh, what are some words that you want to leave them with? What are some things? Uh, so we'll do a call to action one, and then uh, what are some words that you want to share with them that? And I'm thinking about somebody who may be you know driving to work or, or dropping their kids off at the. Uh, daycare or at school on their way to work and they're listening to this podcast. Yeah. What's something you want to impart into them uh, based on the story that you just shared over the last uh, 40 minutes or so? Yeah. It's real simple, man. We're, we're all necessary. Mm. Like everybody's necessary. Um, We, we weren't designed to duplicate people. You know, people, I always feel like lazy people duplicate. Mm-hmm. You know, people who don't feel that 
you know, what they have is valuable enough or the circle around you doesn't make make you feel like, you know, what you have is valuable enough. It's not always about the platform. It's not always, you know, if I'm going to be a national artist, if I'm going to ever get to play outside the country, you know, I might, I, po- I actually posted this on Facebook the other day that, you know, um, just because you thrive locally doesn't mean you're supposed to necessarily have a local mindset. Yeah. You know, you're not, you know, you're, you're who you are. Right. You know, you, you know, your world around you might not expose it yet. The, but you, what you have, be it in music, be it in education, be it in mm-hmm. whatever the, whatever the umbrella is, whatever, how far it goes. If you're mm-hmm. in helping others in childcare, mental health, whatever the world is that you explore, mm-hmm. what you have is extremely necessary. Wow. Like it's needed. And, you know, you, you might not reach 10,000 people, but, if you can say one person was affected in a positive way by what I'm doing, then I'm doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it changes in 10 years, even if you have a career change in 10 years, or even if mm-hmm. you have, you know, you move to another neighborhood and move out of state and start over and say, I want to go back to school and try something else. You know, if it's there, it's there for a reason. Yeah. You know, okay. and we, we can't keep these gifts and these uh, passions locked up. You know, mm-hmm. we got to find a way to get, get heard. You know, yeah. so it's, if you out there and you're, you're struggling with, uh, you know, man, this ain't it. You know, it's several reasons why uh, it might not go the way you think it's supposed to go. But another thing I've learned and we could change questions is I, I learned early what success is. Mm. The real value of success is mm. not. And I say that because I've seen a lot. I, the real value of success is not me playing in front of 700,000 people who at a brand right. conference because not one of them knew who I was. They knew who Beyonce was. Right. They had no idea who the little chocolate keyboard player is. They, they didn't go home saying, man, the piano player, that's the yeah. last thing on their mind. You yeah. know, I, I feel like I've directly touched more people when I made myself the priority. Mm. When I went out here and drove and a lot of people don't believe it. Some people will believe it. Some people know how factual it is. You know for a fact how fact, dude. I've I've, I've got fourteen, fifteen platinum records on my wall. Mm-hmm. I've got Grammy statues and Grammy plaques and ASCAP mm-hmm. awards, publishing awards. But when I had to Dove, fight, Stellars, Dove, yeah. Stellar, and it's all there and it's great. But when I had to fight for me, I had to go get a U-Haul and get my band and load a U-Haul, and we drove from here to Birmingham for fifteen hours to go play in front of twenty people. We would mm-hmm. drive to Indianapolis to play for 45 people. We drove to Penn right. State. And we, like, it's like, yo, we fighting on fight. But then yeah, I felt more value because I was expressing me. Mm. I was expressing what I'm I'm telling my story. So yeah. if you, you know, don't look at, and I felt that was success. That was my success level. I did coming home and kids are happy and blah, blah, blah. And we still do like That's real success to me. So if you understand success and understand what you got in you, you know, just keep fighting for it. It'll, it'll, it'll work out. That's wonderful, man. Uh, what is uh, your handles? How can people, you know, follow you? How can they purchase yeah. the album? Can, tell us your albums and how can they purchase them? How can they follow, connect with you? Absolutely. The uh, easiest way is uh, if you want to learn the, the story or keep up with me, you can go to my website which is Daniel Weatherspoon, W-E-A-T-H-E-R, spoon.com. Uh, uh, 
uh, update the tour schedule or performance dates here kind of regularly. Both the albums are there. The Langley Park Project, uh, Journey, my new single, which came out a couple months ago, mm-hmm. is I did a cover of Untitled, which is this D'Angelo piece. Yeah. And I did it with uh, Mark Kibble from Take Six and um, mm-hmm. Hamilton Harden. So that came out back in October-ish. Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton is crazy. Yeah. Oh, he's he, that's the guy right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so that came out in October or November. Uh, November, I think. Yeah, November. Beginning of November. So uh Instagram is Daniel Weatherspoon. Facebook's Facebook is Daniel Weatherspoon. It's real easy. They all stay the same. Okay. Uh, if you ever need to get to me, uh my manager is Alan Carter. Uh you can go to the website, just scroll down to the bottom and it'll you can send a message and it'll get to them and um and we'll find a way to connect. You know, I love to come to different cities and play and talk and meet people. And, um, yeah, follow me on Instagram and uh, all of that stuff. And it's real cool, man. It's real easy. Sounds good. Well, we appreciate your time and this this amazing story, man. This is this is good. I, I can't wait for this to release. Wow. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man. We uh, have wrapped up another edition of New Voices. So glad that you tuned in. Please follow us on social media. Uh, Also follow us uh, on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Uh, Also follow us uh, at uh, newutulsa.com, and um, you can check us out on the website. We are looking forward to great things coming out of 2024. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Voices. Visit our website at www.newutulsa.com. That is N-E-W-U-Tulsa.com. Follow us on social media at New U Tulsa on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And a special thank you to our producer, Jesse Ulrich. If you're looking for self-improvement, join our free cohorts for personal and professional development opportunities. New You is a way for diverse talent to imagine, discover, and actualize a 2.0 version of yourself. Bring your future into focus.